In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. How would you feel about Carla Homoka moving in next door to you? Yeah, that's right. That's that's what people in the suburb of Montreal, known as Chateau Gay, that's what they're finding out. They're finding out that ah, Carla Homoka is living among us. People aren't too happy. Broken the news in, in the middle of the afternoon. It started trending on Twitter as people were saying, holy crap, holy crap. Now, Carla Homoka has absolutely done her time, or at least the time that she got because the police screwed up in the investigation and didn't find the tapes that showed what an evil, evil person she was. But Carla Homoka now living in Shadowgate, that's just on the south shore of Montreal. If you don't know the area, let me put it into perspective for you. If you're living in downtown Ottawa, it's like... She moved into the South End in a peon. You live in Canada, it's like she moved downtown. She is not far from you. She walks among you. Apparently, with children. Yeah. Why anyone would let Carla Homoka near a child is beyond me. Absolutely beyond me. Let me read to you from the... uh, the Toronto Sun article on this very issue. Headline, Quebec Town upset to learn Carla Homoka living among them. And now the webpage goes wonky, of course. Uh, residents of a Quebec town shocked and furious after learning that notorious schoolgirl killer Carla Homoka is living among them. Global News reports that Homoka, who served 12 years in jail for manslaughter in the sex lanes of Ontario teens Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey, and her sister, Tammy, has lived in Shadowgate for at least two years. Residents were in disbelief when they were told Paul Bernardo's ex-wife has been hanging her hat in the Montreal suburban community. One shaken mom said cops told her the flaxen-haired killer lives in the area and her daughter attends Centennial Park School, according to Global. Another mother said her children are friends with Homoka's children. The school issued a press release assuring parents that children at Centennial Park are safe. I'll tell you that when Leslie Mahaffey walked to the Max Milk in Burlington, Ontario, her parents assumed she was safe. I can tell you that when Kristen French's parents knew their daughter was walking home, they assumed she was safe. And then Carla Milka showed up in a, what was it, a Trans Am with Paul Bernardo? And uh, and then they weren't. I believe in people getting second chances, but this is one where I have a hard time. And maybe it's up to God to give her a second chance because I'm not sure that I can and I'm not sure that most of you can. This is a woman who was far more involved in the depraved killings of two girls she didn't know and the brutal, depraved killings. I, I can't even think about it. Never mind say what I know happened. I can't even think about it. But there she is, just walking around suburban neighborhood, hanging out at the school her, her kid goes to. 
I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do with that information. But I thought it was shocking and disturbing, and uh, I thought I'd bring it up. And, and I'd like to hear from you at, at the end of the day. I, what, we can't send her back to, to prison. The justice system doesn't allow it. Paul Bernardo's still in prison. She should be. But thanks to well, missteps by police, prosecutors, I'm not sure if there was um, missteps by other lawyers involved. But this woman should be in jail, and she's not. Just one of the many topics that um, I wanted to bring up today. And we, we've got a packed show. I've, I've got John Mortimer from Labor Watch stopping by to talk about uh, an issue I'm going to bring up in a second about you know, favoritism for unions. You won't believe the latest on Trudeau and unions. Uh, hoping to connect with Richard Madden from CTV National News. He is in New York City right now. He's been watching the whole issue of uh, the primary that's going on in the United States, hoping to connect with him at 8 o'clock. We've got Tom Broadbeck from the Winnipeg Sun. Just before 9 o'clock, he'll be stopping by to talk about the Manitoba election. The NDP won power in 1999. And they've been in office ever since. That's going to end tonight. We'll talk to him about that. And uh, one of, what were the other ones? I booked the show. Uh, Aaron Woodrick from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation as well. And Rick Smith from uh, the Broadbent Institute. So a packed show tonight. But a few things I wanted to get off my chest before we get into guests. And that's one of them. Carla Homoka living in suburban Montreal. Just hanging out. Got the kids with her. Yep, it's all great. When we get to taking calls, I want to hear about that. Or if you've got thoughts now, email me, beyond the news at CFRA.com. I'll read them out in between guests. Wanted to bring up another issue, and that is that the destructive nature of our state broadcaster. The destructive nature of our state state broadcaster and what happens when governments subsidize certain types of businesses. CBC is having the finger pointed at it because, well, it turns out another TV station is shutting down. Quebecor-owned Argent, that's their business channel, is shutting down. And the reason given is... It's hard to be profitable. Let me read you the quote from Julie Tremblay, the president and CEO of Quebecor Media. She put it very bluntly. When the government sends hundreds of millions of dollars to the public broadcaster, closing Argent illustrates the difficulties faced by private broadcasters in a rapidly changing industry. The whole industry is changing, and the Trudeau liberals are giving CBC an extra $150 million. How do you compete with an organization that gets more than a billion dollars a year? How do you do it? I'll tell you, it's incredibly difficult. And right now, CBC is in the middle of expanding yet again. This time, again, online. They've hired Steve Laterante. Now, I've met Steve a couple times. He's a good guy. I like Steve Laterante. But they've hired him to look after their digital push. They've hired him 
to help map out a digital strategy for the state broadcaster, how they're going to work things online. This is an organization that is mandated by Parliament to provide radio and TV services across Canada. That's it. I'm not saying they shouldn't have a website. Let's face it. Every business has a website these days. But CBC has an army of reporters just dedicated to filing stories for the web, competing with every newspaper in the country on top of the radio and TV stations they already compete with. Now they're competing with every newspaper. They're competing with online news services like the Rebel.media, left-wing news services like uh, Press Progress or National Observer. You can go down the list. This is not what the billion dollars should be going to. Final story I want to get to before we get to guests. And uh, do we have time still, Stephen? Okay, we've got time. Uh, Let's play this quickly. John McCallum asked about the fact that millions of dollars were spent getting military bases ready for Syrian refugees, and then they never went. John Bradford, conservative MP for Barrie, asking about this government waste, just one of many examples of government waste when it comes to the refugee file. He asked him about it in question period today, and McCallum showed that either he is ill-informed, incompetent, or a liar. Member for Barrie, Innisville. Mr. Speaker, yesterday the immigration minister wouldn't say how much the Syrian refugee program will cost Canadians. He said it'll, it will come under budget, but there is no budget. The minister also admitted that 13% of refugees, or 3,400 people, are still in hotels. Mr. Speaker, the Liberals renovated five Canadian forces bases for 6,100 people, costing $6.4 million. Why did the Liberals blow millions, displacing troops over Christmas to house refugees with no intent on using them? You have a Minister of Immigration. Talk about a glass half empty or half full, Mr. Speaker. I had said yesterday that 87 percent of the refugees have now found permanent housing. That is a very large number, and we should be pleased with it. And the remaining 13 percent will find permanent housing very soon. And my colleague beside me, the Minister of Defense, confirms there is nothing truthful in his comments about defense. What? We have talked about these issues on air. We've presented you with the actual access to information documents detailing what was spent, not what was planned, not what was possible, but what was spent, including money to build a cultural and worship center at Meaford, Ontario, money to redo plumbing at CFB Trenton, at CFB Valcarche, money to winterize camps. This happened across several bases. And now they say it didn't happen. These people honestly do not have a clue and they cannot be trusted. We'll get to more stories that you need to know about coming up. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA. Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. So, um, interesting suggestion from Guy. He's, he's saying that I should use the hashtag 
Hashtag BTN, Beyond the News. That's actually what the show gets uh, abbreviated to here in the station. Um, how many of you are on Twitter? How many of you want to talk about the show on Twitter? We can do that. Uh, tell me if you like it. BTN, hashtag BTN. The police, it is weird how things go. Toronto police have started a social media campaign. Speaking of Twitter, they started it today. And they're using the hashtag catch the sniper. This is in relation to a murder that happened last year. Thursday, October 1st, 2015, Clinton Elliott Fu, 37 years old, was killed in the driveway of his home. He was shot by a sniper. Hashtag catch the sniper. They, the story that goes along with this talks about how he was shot with a sniper rifle. As I was explaining to my boys on the weekend as we were out at the range, and thanks again, Mike, for, uh, for that invite and for taking us out, it is, a sniper rifle does not exist. It simply does not exist. It is the person holding the gun. But what they're talking about is a browning lever action. You know, like in Rifleman, like the Daisy Red Rider BB gun, if you've ever fired one of those, you, you pull it down, you pull it all the way to the front, you pull it back. I'm not saying this guy was not murdered. Absolutely. But you know what? What made me think about this is this is the same ri- style of rifle. I just mean the type of action on it that Michael Zihaf Bebo used to kill Corporal Nathan Cirillo and then storm Parliament with. Now, when a terrorist, when a jihadi terrorist takes out a member of the Canadian forces and then storms Parliament, a lever-action rifle is just an old, messed-up rifle. But if it's used in a shooting in Toronto, then it's a sniper rifle? Give me a break. Maybe we'll get more into that later on. I got to... I got to figure more out about this. Uh, Quickly, uh, to a couple of stories that need a bit more attention. Uh, The Ontario PCs and the NDP joined with the Green Party today to hold a joint news conference because they all want to be represented on a panel reviewing political fundraising and how the rules are going to be changed rather than Kathleen Wynne just writing them up on a napkin at her kitchen table. NDP leader Andrea Horvath is saying the liberal majority can't be allowed to dominate such a fundamental change in how political parties raise funds. It's very clear that the liberal majority uh, on committee is often used to shut down ideas and amendments of opposition. That we need something that is uh, that is broad, that's open, and that's transparent, and that is not managed by or directed by or having control of uh, uh, the, the premier's office and the, the governing party. And good for them. Patrick Brown, by the way, agrees. He says there's, you know, there's got to be representation. The liberals are trying to hog the process, maybe because they've had it rigged for themselves for so long. Great story in the Globe and Mail. Adrian Morrow doing great work down there. I kick the other media around a lot, but if you do good work, I give you kudos. Adrian Morrow with the story out on how the liberals were giving grants to people that were giving them money. Where have we heard that before? Oh, right, the federal liberals. It was called the sponsorship scandal. Uh, let's go to the federal liberals because uh, the parliamentary budget officer, the the person that, well, I can point out that is the PBO's forecasts have been uh, about as right as a stop clock. They don't have a good record, but no economist has a great record. 
Still, the liberals used to point to the PBO as the be-all and end-all. Why won't the conservatives do exactly what the PBO says? Back when the PBO was saying what the liberals wanted to say. Well, now the Parliamentary Budget Office is saying, you know what? Um, the, uh, the deficits, they're likely going to be smaller than forecast because the economy is growing better than you are allowing for, Bill Morneau. And Morneau says, oh, well, no, ah, pff, no, no, we, we, no, no, we, we looked at this. We've got it right. Economists will come to different conclusions. We've taken a look at uh, the challenges of global growth. We've taken a look at uh, the volatility of markets around the world and made an estimate in terms of growth that we believe is a prudent estimate of growth. Mm-hmm. First time since 1994 or 96 that the budget was uh, developed without using a an analysis and an average of private sector forecasters. Bill Morneau, the man who knows how to set up, uh, you know, subsidiaries and tax havens. Yeah, that Bill Morneau. Yeah, he uh, he looked at the uh, the numbers and came up with his own ideas. So don't worry, we're all good. New report by the PBO, by the way, challenges the Liberal government's estimate of a shortfall for 2015-16, saying Ottawa will have a $700 million surplus for the fiscal year rather than the projected $5.4 billion deficit. Yeah, and, and maybe something about the whole OAS 65-67? Into that later. Up next, John Mortimer, Labor Watch, dropping by to talk about unions and funding political parties. The special favors they get. Be Lil, Beyond the News, hashtag BTN, News Talk 580 CFRA. To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. you a sense of what we've been able to accomplish so far. As I said, our government is just five months old, but I'm happy about the progress we've been able to make even in such a short time. Putting an end to legislation that unfairly targets unions. Unfairly targets unions, meaning they might have to explain where they spend the billions they collect in union dues. That was Justin Trudeau at the IAFF meeting here in Ottawa just yesterday morning. I told you yesterday how the International Association of Firefighters spent $500,000, half a million dollars, to help get Justin Trudeau elected. That's the money that they sent to Engage Canada, a U.S.-style super PAC designed to do one thing, bring down Stephen Harper and pave the way for Trudeau or Mulcair to get elected. Well, just posting right now to my Facebook page the second part of that. That's that not only did the IAFF give half a million dollars, the steel workers spent $1.5 million. And as I mentioned, A lot of good work coming out of the Queen's Park Bureaus lately. I've been kicking the Queen's Park Bureaus for years, but turns out an analysis was done of the top fundraisers for the Liberal Party of Ontario. Guess what? They're unions. They're the Pipefitters and the Carpenters Union. And they get special favors in return. I want to bring in John Mortimer. He's the president of Labor Watch. It's an organization that uh, helps people that are facing a a unionization drive at their workplace. Maybe they don't want to join. Maybe they're in the union. They 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 don't want to be anymore. They help with that. John Mortimer joins me now. And John, you'll be speaking tomorrow at the uh, 
Uh, is it the Commons or the Senate on C4? House, House of Commons Human Resources Committee is considering a piece of legislation that takes the secret ballot vote away from uh, federally regulated Canadians and takes financial disclosure to all Canadians out of the Income Tax Act and lets unions continue to hide their billions of dollars and what they're up to from taxpayers. Now, before we get into the whole special favors thing, they already do get a special favor in the tax code, and that was part of the premise for the transparency part of Bill C-377. I think the estimate is what, about $5 million, or sorry, $5 billion that they collect each year? That's four to five billion is what's been printed by some people who've tried to figure it out just by analyzing the number of unionized Canadians and average union dues. Okay. So they collect this money tax-free and then they use it for politics. I've already heard from firefighters. Uh, I'm sure today I'll hear from steelworkers. But yesterday, once we released this saying, look, the firefighters spent half a million dollars on Engage Canada, trying to bring down Stephen Harper, trying to install a replacement. I heard from a lot of firefighters that were upset. Every time I expose big union donations, I hear from unionized members who are upset. They don't like it. Uh, So... This is, this is the type of thing that I think most members want, right? Most, most working Canadians who are in a unionized environment want this type of exposure, this type of transparency. Absolutely, they do. And when the, when the Prime Minister goes in front of the people that funded him that he's doing favours for, as you said at his event in Ottawa today, and he talks about legislation that unfairly targeted unions, that is complete and utter crap. Okay? You could argue that union bosses feel unfairly targeted, okay? But (laughs) unionized Canadians believe in secret ballot votes. All politicians are elected by secret ballot votes. This country is replete with examples of nomination meetings of any of our political parties, which are based on cards to sign people up and get into these meetings. There's all sorts of abuse. Well, that's exactly what happens when you unionize workers with cards and without a secret ballot vote. And so the only people who will suffer from a secret ballot vote at the hands of Canadians is overpowered, overprivileged union leaders who Trudeau is helping out because they're the ones that control the money that goes to Engage Canada. They're the one that controls all the people that sneak off from their union day jobs and go work on campaigns during the election. Not lawful, but how do you catch it? Okay. Well, uh, we'll be exposing more of what the unions did to help get Trudeau elected tomorrow. Uh, that'll be coming out at the Rebel Dot Media probably mid-afternoon, and uh, yeah, it's just it's staggering. So we know two million went to Engage Canada. We don't know what the Canadian Union spent because they're no longer required to report. And by the way, the whole secret ballot thing, I did ask the minister in charge, Marianne Miachuk, if she would give up the secret ballot for her next election. I asked her that the day she introduced Bill C four. You know what she told me, John? What'd she tell you? She said. This bill has nothing to do with secret ballots. <laughs> so, all right. So we've got what I've shown on Engage Canada. Tomorrow I'll be bringing up more on what unions spent legally, absolutely legally, is third-party election spending during the campaign. You know what? I don't actually agree that it's legal. And let me tell you why. The current Income Tax Act provisions, which have been there for decades, say that for union dues to qualify legally to be tax-deductible – they have to be spent on the normal operating expenses of the union. So when you go and look at 
Canada Revenue Agency Information Bulletins, Tax Court Canada Decisions, you see that's collective bargaining. That's grievances. That's taking care of unionized Canadians in the workplace. It's not politics. It's not sending money abroad. It's not funding anti-bottled water campaigns. Unions are spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in violation of the Income Tax Act. But because it's all hidden, there is no enforcement. Okay, Reporters but- like you, organizations like the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, can't investigate this illegal activity under the current Income Tax Act. As far as spending on a campaign, though, the they they spent it in a way that was within the Elections Act. Maybe your interpretation within the of the it, no, no, it, maybe within, within the, the it, within your interpretation of the Income Tax Act, you're right. But Correct. so we, they've got all this spending in the federal election. Then we find out from I'll admit it, the state broadcaster Mike Crawley, their uh, legislative reporter down at Queens Park, that yes. the top two donors to the Liberal Party of Canada, or sorry, the Liberal Party of Ontario, were the United Association of Plumbers and Pipefitters and the United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners. Let me ask you, we've seen Trudeau give his favor in bringing in the bill to repeal secret ballots and repeal transparency laws. Do these guys get a payback for donating to primarily the Liberals, but also a little bit to the NDP? Well, look, the, the construction unions in Ontario are the ones that fund working families, the, the, the parent of Engage Canada. And in 2003, what did the Ontario Liberals do? They stripped the secret ballot vote away from Ontario construction workers. More recently, the government narrowed the period for unionized Ontarians to get rid of a construction union from three months to two months. So there's all sorts of favors that are being given in return for all the things that are being done. And this is all about power and privilege so that union leaders can unionize more people, collect more union dues, and spend it getting elected the people who will take away rights from workers and take away rights from taxpayers. There's also, though, I mean, I've seen this at the municipal level. I've seen it at the provincial level in various times bidding on contracts. I've had non-union shops complain to me. I can't bid on this job. My my electricians or my carpenters or what have you, they're just as good as anybody else, but I can't bid on it because of regulations. Is that yep. part of the payback? Well, I mean, this is something that's developed over many, many years and the you know, the unions that control big cities like Toronto who've managed to curry these favors and you know, the media attention on municipal politics pales in comparison to attention on provincial, federal, and international. So this is this is what's made these unions very powerful. It's what makes uh, pencil sharpeners in Toronto schools cost hundreds of dollars. And <laughs> it, it's ridiculous what, what has happened. But there is effectively no competition as a result of it. And the taxpayer is the one that's getting fleeced, and the students and the teachers are getting bad service. So it, one other thing that I've heard of, and this is from a contractor, is that um, even on private sector uh, contracts, the unions have this thing called a stabilization fund. Yes. And they use that to, uh, you know— in addition to paying for the worker, you got to pay you know, 35 cents per hour for the stabilization fund when you hire this union contractor to work for the city of Toronto. Or I, I actually don't know if the city of Ottawa has a uh, a union only rule, 
But then they use that money that when times are slow, they turn around and they go to the private uh, contractors, some of which will, again, only hire unionized workers. But then they, they use that money if it's an open bid where the, the private sector, non-unionized folks can, can bid on the contract. They use that stabilization fund to undercut because they'll say, we'll take you know, half a million dollars out of our stabilization fund and use it to, to pay off the difference. Correct. That's unreal. How is that allowed? That is uncompetitive behavior, John. Yeah, only only in Alberta have we seen some very limited um, additional limits put on that type of activity. But it, it's just another outrageous abuse of the system. I say those funds don't qualify for the income tax system, and it distorts the whole market. And it's either the taxpayer paying for it. Or it's um, all the people that contribute to the union dues. Because I think some STAB funds potentially come out of raw union dues. We don't know that. There's no disclosure. And others come, as you've outlined, with a very specific per hour amount. This goes into the um, union's education fund. And this goes into the fund that distorts the market, the stabilization fund. Unreal. John, uh, all the best at committee tomorrow. You're uh, you. you're up against a big wall, but uh, thanks for the time tonight. Good to talk. Take care. Bye. All right. Uh, you know, folks, some of you are going to email me and tell me that I'm anti-union. My mother was in a union. My father was in a union. My stepdad was not, but his father was. I understand how unions work. That doesn't mean there aren't problems. That doesn't mean there aren't abuses in the system. And my family's been fighting this a long time. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, a little bit of tech talk. And then top of the hour, we go to New York City. It's going to be huge. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. So you remember the big fight between the FBI and Apple over being able to crack the phone? As you may have heard, uh, the Mounties have had um, a way to crack Blackberries, which everyone always thought had better security than any phone. That was their selling point. Incredible security. Pakistan at one point was uh, saying, you, we won't let you in. We won't let you operate unless you give us this. And BlackBerry said no. But it turns out the Mounties have been able to crack these things for a long time. Uh, time for the Redux. And uh, that whole issue of the BlackBerry and the Mounties just one of many topics that Rob Snow discussed with CTV technology reporter Carmi Levy. Well, it was a frightening report from 60 Minutes on the weekend. Uh, I won't play you any of it because that's not allowed. But I will read you from the transcript, okay? Yeah. So 60 Minutes asks, is one phone more secure than another? Asking this question to a group of hackers in Berlin. Is one phone more secure than another? Is an iPhone more secure than an Android phone? No, all phones are the same. If you just have somebody's phone number, what could you do? And the hacker says, track their whereabouts, know where they go for work, which other people they meet, spy on whom they call, what they say over the phone, and read their texts. And 60 Minutes says, well, prove it. And so they they give the phone number, and the next thing you know, they're doing all of that and more, including controlling the camera on the phone. Remarkable. Just from getting a phone number, Carmi. Remarkable and, and also downright scary because this uh, this is all because there's a, a network and it's called Signaling System Number 7 or SS7. 
And it's, it's something that you and I never see, but whenever we, for example, roam, whenever we go to the U.S. or to Europe, or we switch over to another carrier's network, it's a global network that handles all of these roaming uh, activities. So it makes sure that, uh, that, that your network knows where you are, where to find you. It makes sure that the right billing goes to the right place. It makes sure that the texts get routed. Um, and there's a vulnerability in this SS7, and it's a known vulnerability that makes it really easy for hackers to essentially take over your device, see what's going on on it, track all that information, and all they need is your phone number. So you can't change your password to protect yourself. You can't buy a, a more secure phone to protect yourself because it's, it has nothing to do, to do with the phone or your, your habits or behaviors. It has everything to do with weaknesses in the network that right. have not been fixed. It's not a device vulnerability per se. It's a network vulnerability. That's right. And it affects yeah. anyone who has a, a mobile device anywhere in the world, basically all of us, and it isn't being fixed. Okay. Now, how long should my iPhone last? Well, according to Apple, uh, three years. Uh, Apple has posted, they have like an environment, uh, you know, they, they want to illustrate just how, you know, how good they are for the environment. And so they have a web page on their website that talks about sort of the expected lifespan of their various devices. So if you have an iPhone, they expect that the first person who owns it will have it for three years before they replace it. Uh, likewise, if you have an Apple Watch, likewise, if you have an Apple TV, if you have a, a Mac laptop uh, or any one of their computers, they expect those to go for four years. I don't know about you, but if I'm spending six or 700 bucks on an Apple Watch, three years, that kind of disappoints me a little bit. Yeah. So much for taking a licking and keep on ticking. No, they, they, don't, they don't want this thing to take, to take a licking. They just want you to go out in a couple of years and buy, and buy a brand new one, right? Yeah. Thanks, you, thanks Apple. I'm helping your, your stock value. Yeah, You are suggesting if you have quick time on a Windows PC, get rid of it, get rid of it now, delete it, put it in the recycle bin, delete it again, and if you can, delete it again. Why? Uh, because uh, Apple uh, Apple has discontinued all support for it. Uh, last November, uh, it was uh, a security firm, Trend Micro, discovered a weakness in it, a very critical weakness, that allows hackers to essentially take over your computer, install malware, uh, log your username and password, all sorts of nasty stuff at the time. Apple said, you know what, we're not going to update it. It sort of stayed in this limbo state until last week um, when Trend Micro went public with this information. Apple then said, we're not going to fix it, and they, they issued a global recommendation to everyone. If you have it on your computer, get rid of it. You no longer need QuickTime for Windows in order to watch videos and, and, uh, and other uh, animations, for example, that were shot on an Apple device. You can watch them in iTunes. You can watch them on YouTube. You, don't know, you no longer need this software like you did a few years ago. Yeah. If it's sitting on your computer, it is basically an unlocked door for hackers to come in, delete it completely, and move on. All right. That is certainly a privacy theme today. Yeah, big time. Right. And sometimes the, uh, you know, the, the, we just sort of see a, a stream of stories, um, and this, this week seems to be it. It's, it's going to go down as the Privacy Confidentiality Week. Yeah, RCMP uh, has had the BlackBerry Master Key for six years. 
Yeah, this is an interesting one. There was a murder case uh, involving a, an organized crime family in Montreal, and uh, uh, a bunch of documents have come to light in relation to that case where basically it was it was proven that the RCMP uh, took uh, what's called the global encryption key, which is essentially like the master key for any BlackBerry that you or I would buy in a store. And they've had it on their servers for the last six years, and they used that, that technology to uh, do a deep analysis to break into about 194 Blackberries and analyze about a million pin-to-pin uh, -pin message, so personal identification number messages. Uh, we, we've always believed that they're incredibly secure. Apparently, if you have that encryption key, they aren't. The scary thing here is that uh, the RCMP now has the technology. If you have one of those Blackberries, and a few of us still do, uh, then the RCMP can do the same thing to you, and you'll never even know it. And that that kind of crosses some privacy and confidentiality lines. Uh, it really does smack of Big Brother. And uh, in light of what happened with Apple and the FBI in the U.S., where Apple drew a line in the sand, everyone's wondering, why did BlackBerry, why didn't they draw a line in the sand? Why did they just hand it over to the RCMP? I think it's a valid question. Of course, who's still using a BlackBerry? That's the bigger question. Uh, funny enough, I'm running into more people using Blackberries all the time. Now, I switched to an iPhone a while ago, not because uh, I needed a new religion. I already have one. Uh, but I switched to an iPhone because it, it's what my employer was willing to pay for. But I, I pulled out my old Android, my old Google phone, out of the uh, desk drawer the other day and booted it up to uh, to look for something. Man, that's a good phone. I miss that. I don't know what I'll do next. Uh, you know, Carmi Levy was saying Apple expects your phone to last three years. Mine is not quite two years old yet, but I'm a power user, and I think it's just about dead. I've been thinking it's just about dead for the last six months. I'm just too cheap to replace it. So if you find me a good $200 smartphone, maybe I'll do that. Maybe not. We'll see. When we come back, Richard Madden standing by in New York. Going to be huge. Will Hillary and the Donald win out? Will Bernie be able to mount an insurgent campaign from Flatbush in Brooklyn? We'll find out soon. Belil, hashtag BTN. Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. It's just an honor. And my whole reason for doing this is to make America great again. We're a country with tremendous problems, and we are going to make America great again. I don't know if we make America great, but do expect Donald Trump to win huge in New York today, the Real Clear Politics polling average has him at 53.1%. His next closest competitor is, believe it or not, John freaking Kasich at 22%. Ted Cruz in New York polling at 18 On the Democratic side, yet they're voting today. The two crazy socialists up against each other. Hillary Clinton, same as Donald Trump, 53.1%. Bernie Sanders has been closing the gap a little bit. But he's still at 41.4%. Richard Madden joins me now. He's down in Manhattan. He's been touring New York for the last little while. Have you been taking in the sights, Richard? You get a Nathan's hot dog? What? 
You know, I really wanted to get a Nathan's hot dog, Brian, but the lineups were just too huge, so we had I, to head back. I saw it behind you, and I thought, I want a dog. Now I want a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it was a good metaphor for the circus. Uh, the background of Coney Island, of course, a good metaphor for the circus that is the New York primary. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the uh, the New York Post. I mean, so, I mean, oh, yeah. the, the media is crazy in New York City. It's wonderfully crazy, and the New York Post, one of the best tabloids on the continent, and and, and uh, Journal de Montreal is the best in my view. But uh, New York Post is is amazing. They had Bernie Sanders creeping out from behind the Empire State Building as Hillary Clinton looked like she was a victim in a slasher movie. That was their front page today. Yeah, Hillary feeling the burn, and uh, you, you know they also put the sweat marks all around her face with a scared <laughs> look on her face. I'll tell you, you know uh, Bernie Sanders is giving her a run for her money. Nobody expected him to be, uh, you know, nipping at her heels. He has a strong ground game, and his anti-establishment message and his uh, his campaign reminiscent, uh, you know, of a 60s revolution is picked up, support by the aging baby boomers and a lot of the young idealists. And you see a lot of hipsters in the Lower East Side and in Brooklyn who have gravitated towards uh, Sanders, rejecting Hillary, who has the blessing of the party establishment. So, I mean, he is kind of the flip side. He's the Democratic side of Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Trump and Sanders have something in common. You know, exit polls uh, tonight, uh, you know, when when voters were leaving, uh, when voters left the ballot booths uh, on the Republican side, more people uh, wanted a candidate uh, who was not part of the establishment over somebody with experience. So that bodes well for Donald Trump, who portrays himself as the anti-establishment candidate. Same thing with Bernie Sanders on the Republican or on the Democratic side. Uh, He has harness that energy. He's tapped into that sentiment, and he's doing a lot better than anyone expected. Uh, But this is still Hillary Clinton's race to lose. It's widely expected she will win this. Um, Sanders, of course, is putting up a fight. 53.1% to 41.4%. For him to overcome that, as he and Donald both say, would be huge. Yeah, and Sanders already downplaying expectations. Uh, In New York State, uh, it's 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 a unique primary on both sides, but uh, independent uh, voters cannot vote in the in the New York primary. And those oh, so so it's it's a closed primary. Yeah, exactly. So independents can't vote, and independents traditionally would gravitate in in many cases uh, to somebody like Bernie Sanders. So he was a bit upset about that. He's already downplaying the results. Uh, but on the other hand, Hillary Clinton supporters are not managing expectations at all. They're uh, they're channeling. They're going to win big tonight. Uh, so on the Republican side, is it a closed primary as well? No, I don't think so. I think uh, okay. Because I was going to say, if, if it was a closed primary on the Republican side, Trump might drop to forty-eight, yeah, and Kasich exactly. and uh, and Cruz might come close to twenty-five apiece. You know? Exactly. No. Yeah. Trump is widely expected to win this uh, win this primary easily for the Republicans. Kasich, as you pointed out, uh, is a distant second in New York. Ted Cruz and his New York values uh, just isn't resonating here. Uh, what is interesting, though, there are two things. Uh, some Republican voters are voting strategically. I spoke to one today saying he is voting for Kasich because he's pushing for the contested convention uh, in July. Uh, on the other hand, Trump needs to win big. New York is not a winner-take-all state. Uh, It's a complicated formula, but essentially, if Trump picks up more than 50% of the the vote here, he does have a shot at picking up uh, all 95 delegates in New York, and that, of course, would help him make his case uh, to, uh, you know, to to lock up 
uh, the party's nomination. Now, if he gets below 50 percent, is it yeah. done on a proportional level? Exactly. Exactly. It's divided up among congressional districts to get kind of complicated. Uh, there's three per uh, district. There's two and others and then other people <laughs> decide. So it it starts getting really complicated. Well, it, it's tough to understand. And, and this is where if it gets to a contested convention and this gets really inside baseball. But it also is where the American system becomes more like the Canadian. We always have contested conventions. We never yeah. walk into a, a leadership race saying mm-hmm. absolutely they're going to win. I mean, maybe we have a hunch, but there's always the ability to for people to trade off. Exactly. Uh, and Ted, Ted what Cruz Ted... Is, is, is able to go in and work the ground game to make sure that exactly. even if the delegates are bound to, to Trump on the first ballot, they might be friendly to him for the second, right? That's exactly it. And Trump has been making that argument on the stump. Uh, even today, he's he's basically looking ahead anyways. He's in Maryland, and he was making the case that, uh, you know, Trump might win the first round, but he will pick up in the second or third or fourth. Uh, and and when you start when you start having these second multiple ballots, uh, that doesn't usually, according to Cruz, that will not bode well for Trump. And he believes that uh, he can eventually pick that up and possibly win the nomination on the third or fourth ballot. Uh, if, from my understanding of the rules, John Kasich is still in for reasons I don't understand. Uh, I was listening to a guy on uh, MSNBC just last week who said you have to have won at least eight states to even have your name called at the convention floor when they start calling for votes. So Kasich can't win, but he's still in for some reason. So it's basically between, my understanding, between Trump and Cruz, if nobody has the numbers come July. Yeah, it is is really tough to understand, Brian. You're absolutely right. Kasich did obviously well in his home state of Ohio. He does have certain percentages. Uh, and in those states where they divide it up based on percentage, he has been able to lock up a few delegates. Uh, but he's still far, far away from winning the convention. But this is no ordinary convention. And come July, who knows? As they say in New York, things can change in a New York minute. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you're going. And I know you're going to be on CTV National News tonight with results. So if, if people want to hear it here on CFRA or they want to tune in, they can hear the results and you'll be live there. But I looked at going to the, the RNC convention, uh, Richard. Yeah. Cheapest hotel I could get was over 400 bucks a night for a day's in, a 40-minute drive away. God bless America and market forces. <laughs> I, I could not get – like a, a, a Motel 6 is going to cost me 500 bucks a night? You're crazy. On a Monday, you're crazy. Well, there are other options. Well, we'll we, I'm, I'm going to be looking into those. Richard, thanks for the time yeah. tonight. No, thank you, Brian. Richard Madden from CTV National News. Uh, he'll be back up on Parliament Hill uh, soon. For now, he's down in New York watching the huge race. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. All right, so earlier today, from the Bunker South, I was able to sit in and uh, have a conversation with my favorite socialist, Rick Smith, not only about uh, what's happening south of the border and, bizarrely, that he doesn't love Bernie Sanders, 
but also what's coming up in Manitoba. We'll check in with Tom Broadbeck about that later. But first, my conversation with Rick Smith of the Broadband Institute. Rick, are you paying attention to the uh, the primary season happening down in the States, the never-ending election that is moved close to us now? I mean, it's New York State. It's just down the street, essentially, from both of us. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. No, it's, it's been... Uh... Been a fascinating contest. Uh, you know, if you, if you talk to Canadian uh, leftists, uh, there's, there's probably more enthusiasm for Sanders than for Clinton. Um, I myself relish a Clinton-Trump matchup. But uh, yeah, New York, uh, New York will be very important today. Um, you know, it looks at this point like uh, both candidates will probably wind up at the Democratic convention uh, in the dead of summer. Uh, in a few months, and uh, superdelegates will probably decide uh, will probably decide to vote at the convention. So, I, you know, it's been a hard-fought race, it's certainly closer than people imagined. Uh, well, definitely, because um, I wrote off Bernie Sanders as a crazy old kook when he first uh, launched, but that's because I've been following Bernie Sanders for years. I used to see him on local television when I was in Montreal, and he was the crazy congressman from Vermont. So he'd show up on local news. Uh, he has done better than everybody uh, thought, but you sound like you are all about Hillary. That surprises me, Rick. Ber- I, Bernie's I, an I, actual I, socialist. It's true. Well, you know, she's, uh, and there's no question that uh, he has dragged her left through this contest. Um, but look, I mean, you, you and I have talked before about uh, you know, resurgent, really interesting left politics globally. Uh, you see uh, really uh, dynamic new political parties driven by uh, uh, you know the anti-austerity message uh, t- taking hold all over Europe. Uh, you know, what can you say when the Merriam-Webster Dictionary reports that socialism was their uh, most searched word on their website last year? You know, good things are happening. Uh, Poor so people think, are think, trying to figure out what the heck all these crazy <laughs> folks are talking about. Uh, well, one or the other, or both. Uh, but, uh, you know, certainly the, the terrain of politics now in the United States, in Europe, is being uh, uh, redefined now, uh, by, get, by, the, by the left. And, and Sanders, I think, is, is, is surfing that wave. And I think Donald Trump is as well. I get myself into trouble with this audience all the time because I'm not a fan of Trump. I, I think he's more of a progressive than he is a conservative. He is. He's also a chameleon that'll be whatever he needs to be for the audience he's in front of. But um, um, what do you make of the idea of a, a Clinton-Trump matchup? To me, that's the worst of both worlds for both parties. Uh, she is someone who... Recent polls said 30% of Sanders supporters would not back Hillary Clinton. She's not trustworthy. She, she could face indictment before the, the, the convention in July. Well, look, I think more than anything, Trump is a populist, right? I mean, he's right. Everybody else is wrong. He knows better uh, than everyone else. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, his numbers are a disaster for the Republican Party. Uh, you know, a Clinton-Trump matchup is uh, is you know, something that Democrats uh, uh, dared not even dream about uh, even a few months ago. And uh, he's going to get very few American women voting for him. He's going to get very few Latinos voting for him. And his uh, his potential vote is, is extremely small by historic uh, Republican standards. So, 
you know, no wonder that you see uh, the mainstream of the Republican Party, such as it is, scrambling to try to find anybody but Trump candidates. We'll see if they can coalesce around Ted Cruz uh, at their convention. Well, he's the only one they can coalesce around based on how, how the rules are. But I'll say this for Trump and Sanders. It's that they're both tapping into that vein of politics, and you don't support Sanders and I don't support Trump. Uh, but they're both tapping into that vein of politics that you and I, I think, both naturally lean towards, which is the the big centrist establishment types that have run things for too often, whether we're talking about Canadian politics or American politics, the, the guys that don't really stand for much of anything. They're tapping into anger in the people, frustration in the people that they vote for somebody and then they don't get what they were promised. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you can compare what Trump has been saying to anybody on the left. I don't. I don't think that's a fair comparison. I mean, the, the sort of misogynist statement he's made uh, about women. Uh, you know, his uh, his own senior campaign staff uh, charged with assault. Uh, you know, his. Well, I'm talking uh, about his policies, not 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 the circus. Yeah. I'm talking about where he stands on. On policies and the type of voter that he's attracting he and Sanders both attracting people that haven't been yeah. engaged I mean I, I, I keep correcting people think, that say that, that Trump is attracting yeah. the, the conservative movement he's not he's bringing in people to the Republican Party that were not there before many of them disaffected Democrats some of them just people that weren't involved in politics and I think Sanders is is doing the same as as much as I'm not relishing either one of them uh, leading our neighbor I think that's the reality. Well, one of the fascinating things about Trump's candidacy uh, that I find is is you see the crumbling orthodoxy uh, amongst Republican voters about about the the benefits or the lack thereof of trade agreements. You know, the fact that he is so critical of uh, the TPP and other other trade agreements that even a few years ago, you know, every Republican would have lined up behind. Uh, Tom Mulcair did here in Canada. And it, not the TPP, but uh, you know, it turns out that these these international trade agreements with the anti-democratic investor state uh, provisions that that protect uh, corporate rights at the expense of uh, the rights of American and Canadian workers, uh, it turns out they ain't so popular anymore. And and the fact that you see Trump expressing that so openly and and uh, so successfully in, 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 by some measures with Republican voters, you know, it's got to put the fear of God into uh, uh, into Republicans on that issue for the next few years. Uh, yeah, there, there's long been a divide on that issue. Listen, uh, before we're out of time, I have to I do I do have to ask you about the uh, Canadian political scene. Because you said socialism's on the rise everywhere, but it's going to get voted out tonight in Manitoba. The Selinger NDP are going to be handed their butts on a nice silver platter. And looks like Brian Pallister and the PCs are going in. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm torn in this, I have to say. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm sad for uh, uh, for my uh, my friends in the Manitoba NDP that uh, it's come to this. So, look, they've been in power since 1999. Uh, we'll see what happens tonight, but like I don't care what party you are, uh, if you've been in power for over 15 years, uh, you've uh, you've done pretty pretty darn well. And, for, and my, eventually, my you're going to get voted out. Yeah, yeah, 
Um, well, unless you're in, unless you're in Alberta, of course, and then it takes over forty years. But um, <laughs> but, but Manitoba is not Alberta. The uh, you know my organization, the Broadbent Institute, and our media project, the Press Progress, we've done any number of expose uh, exposés on Brian Palliser. You know this guy's got chronic foot and mouth disease. Uh, I relish him uh, being the premier. It's going to be lots of good grist for our mill. Well, as I keep saying about Justin Trudeau being prime minister, it's uh, bad for the country, good for business. <laughs> well, I think he's going to be, you know, if he does win tonight, he's going to be a terrible premier, and I, I look forward to uh, exposing that on an hourly basis. Maybe we can debate that at a later date. Rick Smith, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Uh, my favorite socialist, because like a Timex, unlike the Apple Watch, uh, Rick Smith takes a look in and keeps on ticking. Uh, Rick Smith with the Broadband Institute chatted with him earlier today. Aaron Woodrick from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation standing by. We're going to talk about a few issues, including refugees and costs. Not whether we should have them, but did they handle this in the right way? Costs going through the roof? You won't believe some of what is coming up. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Hashtag BTN. News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Yeah, I'm doing a little bit of cherry dancing to some Ellie King there. I better watch what I say about the folks across the street that are exercising at 8.30 at night. Every now and again, I turn around. Yeah, there's there's a woman on the elliptical and a guy on the rowing machine. I got to watch what I say because I'm in a big picture window to chair dancing. What are they going to say about me? Of course, they don't have a microphone. So, I mean, who's going to hear them? Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Uh, Aaron Woodrick joins me now. He is the uh, national director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and one of many people upset over how the government's handled the refugee file. And Aaron, I think you're like me. It's not a question of do we help people? It's how this government has gone about it with the artificial deadline and the artificial quota system and how that's driven up costs. The latest, $30 million in commercial flights to get people here by the end of February. Yeah, you know, Brian, we were we were critical of this back during the campaign itself when obviously the, 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 the whole issue heated up quite a bit. You know, we've said all along, we have no objection to helping refugees. I think it's reasonable for Canadians to do their fair share. Uh, but the way they sort of drew up the plans on the back of a napkin, uh, lowballed the costs, and then lo and behold, the cost of it ends up being five or six times what they promised. Then they set these artificial deadlines with these artificial numbers, and we end up paying extra money just so they can tick off a box that says, you know, we got to number X by this specific date. That's not the way to go about doing this. We should be doing this, you know, in the interest of these people, what works for them, not just uh, not just making up artificial numbers and deadlines so we can look good politically. But we kept being told, Aaron, we've got to help these people because they're living in refugee camps and the conditions are horrible, so we've got to get them out of the camps. Then we found out that they, well, the overwhelming majority, I believe the term was very, very few, that was from a Canadian Border Services official at a parliamentary committee, very, very few of the refugees came out of camps. Ask the government about that. They said, well, we never said we were bringing them out of camps. I've got a long list of clips and news releases of them saying that very thing. 
but they kept they keep changing their story as they go and it, again this is not do we help refugees because as soon as you question it you're called a bigot no this is about how you do it do you do it in a sensible way and i don't think they've done this in a sensible thoughtful way and and that hurts the canadian taxpayer it hurts communities and i think ultimately it also hurts the refugees and the refugee families themselves aaron no absolutely i agree you know, again, we think that we should be helping refugees, and we can debate the number, but I think it's a it's a fair thing for teams to do and for us to be a part of. But, you know, this government is, is focusing everything around the PR of patting ourselves on the back for doing it rather than doing what's the best for these people. And, you know, you mentioned things like, uh, you know, the, the, the cost, but also things like the money we've spent on preparing, for example, military bases. There was a, a quite a bit of money spent getting them ready. You know, nobody ever showed up for them because people were being placed with private sponsors. Uh, the list goes on. So, you know, we have serious concerns about this. We're, we're obviously watching to see what the, the final tally will be, how much money is being wasted here, which could have been better spent to actually help these people directly uh, in the medium term. I want to play a clip for you. It's John Bradford, Conservative MP from uh, Barrie, Ontario. And he asked the Defence Minister, now we've already published this. I think other media have published the ATIPS and talked about the expenses that were incurred to get military bases ready across Canada. Now, I want I want everyone to hear this again. John Bradford earlier today asking John McCallum, and John McCallum either shows that he doesn't know his own file or he's outright lying on whether the military incurred any cost. Roll tape. Member for Barry Innisville. Mr. Speaker, yesterday the immigration minister wouldn't say how much the Syrian refugee program will cost Canadians. He said it'll, it will come under budget, but there is no budget. The minister also admitted that 13% of refugees, or 3,400 people, are still in hotels. Mr. Speaker, the Liberals renovated five Canadian forces bases for 6,100 people, costing $6.4 million. Why did the Liberals blow millions displacing troops over Christmas to house refugees with no intent on using them? Yeah. Yeah, the Minister of Immigration. Talk about a glass half empty or half full, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> I had said yesterday that 87 percent of the refugees have now found permanent housing. That is a very large number, and we should be pleased with it. And the remaining 13% will find permanent housing very soon. And my colleague beside me, the Minister of Defence, confirms there is nothing truthful in his comments about defence. Aaron, uh, have you seen the documents I'm talking about that show them even building a worship and cultural centre, improving plumbing, improving electrical work, winterizing cabins. This is all public information that we're talking about regarding the cost of the military bases. Yeah, as far as I know, that's not really a, a issue up for factual dispute, Brian. Uh, the fact is money was spent preparing those bases um, precisely for the purpose of welcoming those refugees, and yet they never ended up being used. The government decided to put them in hotels instead. So I think it's a completely legitimate question, uh, you know, to spend money on A and then you put refugees in B housing instead. I, I think it's a completely legitimate question. And the minister, as you say, either doesn't know his own file or is misleading us as to what he actually knows. Well, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know his own file or he wants to obfuscate. It's one one or the other. Um, I mean, just to give another example, uh, the story was going around about how the government was spending $61 a day to feed refugees in hotels. And they said, oh, no, they only get the same amount as 
refuge as uh, Canadians on welfare. Well, that's if they're living on their own, which is why our food banks are being flooded now by people that were promised the sun, the moon, and the stars if they came to Canada, and then they arrive here and they're not getting it. But the contracts clearly show $61 a day in terms of uh, food payments, uh, $30 for dinner, $16 for breakfast, $15 for lunch. It's in the public domain, but they still deny it. Yeah, you know, on, on this file in particular, this government has not covered itself in glory. And it all goes back to, as I said, during the campaign, they made promises with unrealistic numbers that they knew they couldn't keep. And everything has sort of fallen apart since then. I mean, yes, we've got some refugees over here. That's a good thing. We've we've helped out people who need help. Uh, but the government has done it in probably the most, uh, you know, inc- uh, incompetent you know, inefficient way possible when it comes to doing this sort of uh, humanitarian assistance. All right. I had a gentleman named Ronald email me, and he said, Brian, you do know this this housing that the government-assisted refugees get. And and again, I've told the audience before, uh, my parish has sponsored a family. So my parish is looking after the cost of that family and making sure that they that their material needs are looked after. They're not relying on government assistance. But the Trudeau Liberals insisted that majority of people in this be government-assisted refugees. Well, Ronald writes in and say, you do know, Brian, this housing is only good for one year, 12 months, 365 days. It, exactly. Th- which, given the number of people they brought over and the stress they put on the language training they promised these people, the job training they promised them, we've seen stories that that's been delayed. You know, put yourself in, in the shoes of this refugee family you're not getting what you were promised in a year, 10 months, your funding for housing runs out and, and you're not ready to, to become a functioning member of Canadian society. You're not, you haven't even received what you were promised. That's going to hurt the family. It's going to hurt social cohesion and it, it will also hurt the, the Canadian taxpayer. They're going to end up on welfare because they will have nowhere else to go, Aaron. Yeah, and Brian, that just speaks to the importance of when you when you do undertake things like refugee resettlement, you have to have a longer-term plan to integrate these people into Canadian society. All of these folks, you know, can and will become productive citizens and members of our society, you know, if given the chance. But if the government, as you say, just brings them over here and then suddenly a year later they find themselves out of out of a house with no resources, uh, that is not, not the way to go about things. And private sponsorship, as you mentioned, is actually a, often a better way. People make a personal commitment, a personal investment. Often it's church groups or other people in the community who band together as a group and sort of share the load, taking turns, sort of helping these people and showing them the ropes. So, you know, we like to see that. There, there are a lot of Canadians who stepped up to do that. And, uh, you know, we think that's far more effective than the government just sort of doing these programs at arm's length. What do you make of John McCallum saying, don't worry, 87% have housing? That means 3,250 of the 25,000 number they projected are still living in hotels. It's, it's what, seven weeks after the deadline? Yeah. I don't know about you. I can't live in a hotel for seven weeks. And, and, <laughs> and, and again, not fair to the Canadian taxpayers not fair to the refugees either. Yeah, it does suggest that, you know, they had not 
thought this through very carefully. Um, you know, if the if the people, for example, are coming over here and they have to stay in a hotel for that long, why not just not bring them over for another month so they don't have to spend all this time in limbo? Again, it comes down to that artificial deadline they wanted to meet. They had to rush them to get them over here rather than maybe bringing them over at a pace that would ensure they actually find permanent housing uh, not long after they get here. All right. Aaron Woodruff is the National Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, an organization that looks after your money. You can find out more at taxpayer.com. Aaron, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Brian. Well, stick around. When we come back, socialism on the decline in the red province of Manitoba. My old son, media pal, Tom Broadback, standing by. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Okay, I'll admit it, I make fun of Winnipeg a lot because that's, well, it reminds me of my hometown of Hamilton. A little gritty, a little industrial. It's got a CFL team. Stadium not in the best part of town. That's where we find our next guest, Tom Broadback. He's with the Winnipeg Sun and used to join me on Sun News all the time. But tonight he's joining us on the radio to talk about the demise of socialism in the reddest (laughs) province in the country. This is good news, Tom. Well, uh, we're definitely getting change in Manitoba. It looks like after 16 and a half years of NDP government, um, the end has come uh, for them and... um, not only are we looking at a majority government for the Tories, all the polls have uh, indicated to us, and we've had a lot of polling in this election, that this is going to be a rout. This is going to be probably a landslide victory, quite possibly the most seats that the Tories have ever won in Manitoba. Now, I, I met Brian Pallister when he was uh, an MP here in Ottawa. He left many years ago, went back to, to Manitoba, and then entered Manitoba politics at the provincial level. Uh, if you had said to me way back in 05, 06, this man's going to be premier of Manitoba, I would have looked at you like, really? Yeah. It, it, it's not that uh, he was a dud. And let's face it, you and I have both met our fair share of dud politicians that you wonder how they got elected dog catcher. But I just didn't, I didn't see him there. Has he grown into the job or is he riding a wave? What is it with Brian Pallister? Oh, I think he's a pretty competent guy. And before he went to Ottawa, he was a, he was a cabinet minister in the Filman government in the 90s. So he has quite a bit of experience. He was part of the Unite the Right movement uh, prior to becoming an MP. Of course, he was part of the Canadian Alliance. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a fiscal conservative. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's quite capable. He's a very ambitious, very competitive guy. And uh, he got in this race to win it. And uh, he's worked pretty hard. He's whipped the caucus he inherited into shape. Uh, they were a pretty lazy caucus for a long time, sitting in opposition, twiddling their thumbs, not really knowing what to do. And uh, he really turned them around and kind of uh, snapped the whip and, and got things moving. And of course, you know, the very biggest factor is that there's just this time for a change movement going on in, in Manitoba. There's a there's a hate on for the NDP government uh, that began in 2013 when they when they raised the PST to eight percent and and uh, raised some other taxes and people just started getting angry with them. Uh, their their handling of the finances, uh, a lot of really poor outcomes in healthcare and 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 
public school system and child and family services. And uh, it got to the point over the past year or so that uh, the electorate just uh, really developed a throw-the-bums-out attitude, and that's really the overarching dynamic here. I've been saying for the last little while, and I... uh, we covered the the, you know, the Saskatchewan election as this is the last stand for conservatives in mm-hmm. in in provincial legislatures across the province. But I said, watch Manitoba, Manitoba, because Brian Pallister can pull this off. That was, I think, before the polls were showing the route that we're expecting tonight. Yeah. Uh, is this significant in terms of Manitoba politics? Is the NDP really left wing uh, under Greg Selinger? Were they more mild under Gary Dewar? Who I, Stephen Harper? Harry, he hired Gary Dewar to be his ambassador to Washington. For goodness' sake, so I'm, I'm guessing Greg Selinger might be a bit more on the left than his predecessor was. Absolutely, and he was, you know, he just he was not the caliber of politician that that Gary Dewar was. Gary Dewar was a very skillful politician had you know, one of the best political antennas that I know of. Uh, and, uh, and he straddled the middle as a, you know, as an NDP premier, he actually cut taxes, he balanced the books, you know, he was a little bit of a Roy Romano in, in that way. Um, of course, he was very fortunate. He came in at a time where federal transfer payments were at record levels. The economy was doing quite well and he had a lot of money. And when you have money in government, things are good because you can answer a lot of deal with a lot of challenges by by throwing money at it uh, greg selinger came in and you know he's uh, he's not the he's not the skilled politician that gary Dewar was and you're quite right uh ideologically he's on the far far left of gary Dewar. he prior to getting into provincial politics he was part of a number of you know hard left-leaning groups putting out uh you know uh, left-leaning socialist alternative federal budgets and you know uh uh, definitely came from from that uh, from what, that what ideological background. What is it about you, Manitobans, sending us crazy leftists? You, 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 you know, just to you know, go off Producing. on a tangent for a minute here. <laughs> you, you you sent us Marianne Miachuk, our current Mychuk, labor yeah. minister. Miachuk, I, I don't know how to say her name, but that's okay. Yeah. She doesn't know what's in her own bill uh, yeah. when she introduces it. Uh, I mean, you guys send us crazy leftists. Well, it must be that CCF background in in Manitoba, you know, um, that uh, that's spawning some of this. I don't know. Um, so, but t- <laughs> tonight you're gonna you're you're gonna return a bit to sanity with Brian Pallister, um, a man who he before he went into politics he was uh, in the private sector. He was in uh, was it accounting or or financial insurance? Consultants? Yeah, he, insurance. He, yeah, okay. He, yeah, he was a, he was a teacher once upon a time and. Uh, he got into the insurance business and he and he built up a company and uh, he did very well for himself and uh, he's uh, you know he's relatively wealthy right now uh, um, he he did very well before he got into politics and um, he's a, he's a, he's a successful individual now I I, he, I do note that the state broadcaster has been going crazy about the fact that he's been spending even I will admit a, a fair amount of time. Outside yeah. of the province, down in Costa yeah. Rica, and they're trying to show well he owns property in Costa Rica. So it's like the Panama Papers. My guess is the NDP had all of this and handed it to their friends at the state broadcaster to, to bring it out. Is that going to hurt them? Uh, it, no, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I, I think you know that was one of the many smear tactics that the NDP tried to employ during this campaign, um, trying to somehow shame somebody for being financially successful because they own some vacation <laughs> property in Costa Rica. I'd love. You know, I, I have a friend that owns that. I'd love to. Yeah, I, you know, really. I mean, I mean, there, 
I think people saw it here as, yeah, so what? So the guy's successful and he, you know, he did well financially and he's got some money to buy a vacation home in Costa Rica. Some people buy condos in Phoenix, you know, um, how is that a bad thing? You know, what do you want? Financial losers uh, running your province or do you want financial winners? You you just gave away the, the divide that I'm aware of. I don't know if the rest of the audience is, but in Ontario, Tom, you buy a vacation home in Florida. Once you hit the Ontario Manitoba border and go west, it becomes Phoenix and Palm yeah. Springs, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But and, uh, here in Ontario, it's Florida. We only go to Florida because yeah. we're bored. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And here it's Corpus Christi, uh, Texas or, yeah. uh, or or Phoenix, Arizona. All right. Well, uh, congratulations on returning to uh, to sanity, sanity tonight and, and all the best. You're predicting how many seats for uh, Pallister in the PCs? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say 46 out of 57. Uh, that's wow. That won't leave much of an opposition. So um, no, it won't. Not not a good thing. I always like an opposition, but hopefully a strong no, majority I, for I'm Brian pro- Pallister. It's probably a bit ambitious, but uh, to see that they would that they will most likely win forty or more is is really not a stretch at this point. All out right. of fifty seven seats. Tom Broadback from the Winnipeg Sun. Thanks for your time, my friend. Thanks, Brian. All right. It, the reason I cover these races, people, is that it's important because. Across the country, conservatives have been losing out for the last several years, and we've got to turn the tide. Brad Wall was the thin blue line. He helped turn the tide. Yeah, I know the Saskatchewan party is not a conservative party, but they are for the free market. They're the free market coalition party. In Manitoba next door, you've got Brian Pallister. He's a former Canadian alliance guy. He's not a red Tory. He is going to help turn that province around we need to be doing this across the country, not just in the federal level. We also have to start looking at city politics, at school boards at some point. The left has, they have master plans for this. We on the right don't, mostly because we're working. We have jobs. Maybe that's the difference. When we come back, your phone calls, you want to jump in early, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. And if you're on Twitter, the hashtag, hashtag BTN. I'm Belil. Beyond the news with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Scooby just called me B-Lil. You can call me B-Lil as well. You want to get on the line with B-Lil? It's simple. 613-521-TALK, 521-8255. You can speak with the B-Lil or beyond the news at CFRA.com. They haven't given me a B-Lil at CFRA.com email address yet, although people wouldn't know how to spell it. By the way, if you do, it's capital B, capital L, I-L-L, all right, because Lily has three L's in it, so that's how I spell it. It's my name. I made it up. Well, other people made it up. I decided to actually spell it, so it's capital B, capital L, I-L-L, and if you want to use the hashtag BTN, well, let's see if it takes. Let's see if people actually want to do this. So far, well, I haven't put it out there yet. We'll see if anybody else does. Want to hear your thoughts on 
all the issues we've been talking about. Manitoba returning to sanity? Do you care? You should. You should care because we need more provinces returning to sanity away from socialism, which is what we need to do in Ontario. And one day we need to we need to infect Quebec with sanity. Wouldn't that be great? Can you imagine a conservative government that weaned Quebec off of the $15 billion a year that the rest of the country sends to them instead of just saying, oh, oh, give us more money. We need more money. Because instead of us infecting them with sanity and fiscally conservative principles, they've infected us. And now Kathleen Wynne sounds an awful lot like Quebec. Her and Charles Souza. No, that's not the way to do it. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. There's a big conversation going on. I mentioned this story last night about spanking, and there's a big conversation going on because I did a story about this family in Norway that had their five kids taken away from them, not because they abused them, but because they occasionally spank some of the kids. Their, Their kids have been gone since November. It's getting to the end of April, people. They've had their kids taken away, and they're not allowed to know very much of what's going on. This could be coming to Canada because of Justin Trudeau's promise to implement all aspects of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which included doing away with Section 43 of the Criminal Code, which protects parents from being charged for doing something that if I did to, if I walked into the control booth right now, And I picked Stephen up out of his chair and I walked him out to my car because he was being a sucky crybaby and I strapped him into the back seat and said, you're going home now. I would be charged with assault and um, uh, unlawful confinement and a lot of other things. But if I did that to my kid, I shouldn't be charged. Section 43 protects parents. It doesn't protect them from abusing. Anyways, big discussion going online about this story that we raised last night. But what do you think of Carla Homoka walking free, walking among us? We're not that far from Montreal. We are not that far from Shadow Gay. Walking free, taking her kids to school. How would you feel having Carla Homoka drop off her kids at your school? I, I might be moving. I'll tell you. I would, yes, I would absolutely either the kids would be escorted to school every day and picked up from school every day or be moving. Because this is a woman who helped kill three school kids, one of which was her sister. And while I believe in, I believe in forgiveness, I truly do, I also have to protect my children. What would you do? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Do you have thoughts on what's happening down in New York tonight? It's going to be huge. We've got two elections going on. We've got the Manitoba election. I thought that was Judy Washer-Leisher Lease talking to CTV News Channel, uh, but I don't think so. Uh, we've got the, the, the New York primary. I wasn't able to get down for um, my tour of Ogdensburg and Watertown earlier today. I'd hoped to, but the day got away from me trying to actually work. 
and uh, and I couldn't get down there. But uh, we've got the primary in New York. John Kasich expected to be the closest competitor to Donald Trump, only 30 points behind him. Hillary Clinton expected to win by more than uh, by more than 10. Do you have thoughts on that? 521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility. Now, I mentioned this earlier with Aaron Woodruff on the issue of the refugees. We've got the immigration minister, I don't know, showing he's incompetent, showing that he doesn't know his file, showing that he's a liar. I'm not sure which it is at this point, because he was asked about the issue of the the millions that we spent retrofitting military bases in this country. He was asked about it, and he said that it didn't happen. Let's play that again. This is John Bradford, conservative MP from Barrie, Ontario, asking John McCallum, or asking the government, McCallum's the one that stood up and answered, about the issue of the millions spent for refugees to be housed at military bases, but none of them were. How do they justify this waste? Uh, for Barry Asheville. Mr. Speaker, yesterday the immigration minister wouldn't say how much the Syrian refugee program will cost Canadians. He said it'll, it will come under budget, but there is no budget. The minister also admitted that 13% of refugees, or 3,400 people, are still in hotels. Mr. Speaker, the Liberals renovated five Canadian forces bases for 6,100 people, costing $6.4 million. Why did the Liberals blow millions displacing troops over Christmas to house refugees with no intent on using them? Yeah, the Minister of Immigration. Talk about a glass half empty or half full, Mr. Speaker. I had said yesterday that 87% of the refugees have now found permanent housing. That is a very large number, and we should be pleased with it. And the remaining 13% will find permanent housing very soon. And my colleague beside me, the Minister of Defence, confirms there is nothing truthful in his comments about defence. Then I have to ask John McCallum why I've got the documents showing the, the money spent on insulating certain cabins, on improving plumbing, improving the ventilation system for kitchens, improving all kinds of aspects of various bases, six, six different bases, I believe it was, and even building a cultural and worship center at CFB Meaford. These were not proposals. These were actual expenditures, and the minister knows nothing about it. And then he says, don't worry, 87% have found permanent housing. That means that seven weeks after we got to the 25,000 mark, 3,250, roughly, 3,250 people still living in hotels. How would you feel about living in a hotel for seven weeks or more. Because I'll flip this around. Put this down. What does this say to the refugees? You were promised the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then you get to Canada, and you're put up at a day's inn for seven weeks. And you got two, three, four little kids running around. Are you going to lose your mind? Because I would. And all they can say is, don't worry, the glass is more than half full. 
Sunny ways. What do you make of John McCallum? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. If nobody wants to call in, I'm pulling a lull. We're going to play country music when we come back. Brian Lilly, b Lil, hashtag BTN, News Talk 580 CFRA. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We are waiting for some huge, I say, huge results in New York tonight. Sorry, Bernie Sanders was on TV. I had to. I, I've got to channel my inner Donald Trump. I have a feeling I'll need to work on that uh, that imitation a little bit going forward. I, I think he's going to be around for a little bit. So I've got on one of the, the monitors here, I've got the, um, the New York primaries up. On the other one, I've got the uh, Manitoba election results coming up on CTV News Channel. By the way, PC's up 21 right now. Leading or elected in 21, NDP leading or elected in 9, Liberals leading or elected in 3, Greens leading or elected in 2. They've already declared a PC majority on CTV News Channel. Polls closed 23 minutes ago. (laughs) All right. Return to sanity. I remember back to the Ontario election, the, the one in June 2014, and there'd been all this talk that, oh, could be a nail biter, could go either way. By 9.07, I think it was, the polls closed at 9, and I'm out at Tim Hudak's uh, campaign party spot in Grimsby, Ontario, which did not turn out to be a party spot, and uh, the room started emptying out about 9.05. By 9.07, everyone knew that it was over. Rather depressing, have to say. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility or beyond the news at CFRA.com. Let's go to uh, Alan in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News, Alan. Hi. Um, well, we have uh, App Watercat there. Mm-hmm. Well, we move some of those people down into the buildings at least until we can fix up their homes or do whatever we have to do for them. It'd be closer to deal with for the... Uh, Psychiatrists and stuff like that, too? Well, Alan, uh, they don't want to move. Most of them don't want to move. And we're spending enough money up there that they should actually have plenty. They they should have a lot. They just won't have jobs, and they'll still be isolated. But we're spending plenty that they should have decent homes. But unfortunately, the money's not spent in the proper way. And and, and this this is well-documented going back to Teresa Spence going on her hunger strike where she was fed fish soup. Well, I'm going to ask, who's looking after their money then? Like, why are we not, like, watching where they're spending money a little bit more closely and see what's being lost? Well, here's what happens. You've got, um, you've got the, the federal government provides most of the money. Mm-hmm. 
The provincial government provides some of the money to Attawapiskat. If there are questions that are raised, then they're told, mind your own business. The previous conservative government under Stephen Harper had brought in transparency regulations that said the band had to explain where the millions that they were getting was spent. Oh, and by the way, De Beers Diamonds, which is very far away from the reserve, but near enough by they have to pay them, they pay them an awful lot of money as well. But when they were told, you've got to show us where this money is going, they opposed it, just like most of the band chiefs across the country. Justin Trudeau got the support of the band chiefs by saying he would repeal that legislation that said, show us where the money went. We found, Due to that legislation, which was in place for about a year, we found out about a chief in British Columbia making more than a million dollars while people lived in squalid conditions on his reserve. We're not going to find that out anymore in Attawapiskat. We're not going to find out where the money's going. And in a year, there's going to be another crisis, and people will fly up, and they'll wring their hands, and nothing nothing will change, no matter how much money we dump into it. Well, I think we should just stop sending the money then, at least until they agree to. Well, it, it, it was up to the federal government, Alan, and we elected the selfie prince who decided we don't need to do that. I, I did not elect him. I uh, voted NDP myself. All right. Well, they would have done away with it as well. Thanks for the call, Alan. Let's go to Ursula, calling in about kids. You're on Beyond the News. Brian? Yes. Brian? Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was um, left to listening to you, I like to listening to you. And I just very tired, but I, you said... Nobody's calling, so <laughs> I had to call. Well, thank you for that. And I have to say, Brian, you are nice, fresh, fresh air in the evening. And I have to say congratulations to your education skill with children. <laughs> I, I don't know how good it is, but thank you. I am with you. It's just the way I was educated, and I think it's just wonderful. And thank you to to wow, just to say, Brian, stay this way. It's excellent, and that is the way we should educate. Our children. Can I ask you quickly, Ursula? Sure. Within reasonable limits, do you think that spanking is something that parents can and should be allowed to do, or should it be banned? Well, uh, just a little. Just a no, because that little children, that little sweet devils, sweet devils with three years or four, they don't understand listening they don't understand the words that you're saying to them yes but when you say please don't do it a little my dear please not with his base just a little please so then they understand and that was it always and now they can do what they want so wow um, congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Brian. 
Okay, thanks for the call, Ursula. Rescuing me so they don't have to play country music. If you don't want to hear country music, well, you better call in. It's 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And I'm getting lonely on the email, folks. You can show me some email love. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. We're back in a few moments. I'll keep watching the PCs in Manitoba rack up more victories. Beyond the news with Belil. Beyond the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Who says New Yorkers is crazy? Who says it? Well, I do. 22% of polls reporting. Hillary Clinton has 61.1% of the vote so far. That proves New Yorkers are crazy. On the Republican side, 65.1%. Let's listen into Donald Trump ramble for a little while here. Why do I say ramble? Because I've listened to his speeches. You want to listen and call in on what he has to say? 521-TALK, 521-8255. Here's the Donald our jobs back and we don't let our companies go to Mexico and all of these other countries anymore. We're going to keep the jobs here. You're going to be very proud of this country very soon. We're going to build our military bigger, better, stronger than ever before. Nobody is going to mess with us. That I can tell you. We're going to take care of our vets. We're going to, our vets are, are great people, and we have forgotten our vets. Illegal immigrants are taken care of, in many cases, better than our vets. That's not going to happen anymore. That is not going to happen. We're getting rid of Obamacare. It's going to be repealed and replaced. It is a total disaster, with premiums going up 35, 45, 55 percent. It's going to probably end of its own volition, we're getting rid of it. We're bringing Common Core. We're knocking it out. We're cutting it. It's going to be over, and we're bringing education locally. Local communities are going to take care of their educational needs, and people have been waiting for that for a long time. So with all of the things that have happened today, tonight, and over the week, I'll tell you what, this has been an amazing week. All over New York State, we went to Syracuse, we went to Albany, 20,000 people. I mean, on average, we'd have 15 to 20,000 people. We went to Rochester. We went to Bethpage. We went all over. And you know what? The people of this country and the people of this state truly are great and amazing people. We are going to be so strong again. We are going to be really, I mean, legitimately so great again. And I just can't wait. So... We don't have much of a race anymore, based on what I'm seeing on television. Senator Cruz is just about mathematically eliminated. And we've won another state. As you know, we have won millions of more votes than Senator Cruz, millions and millions of more votes than Governor Kasich. We've won, and now, especially after tonight, close to 300 delegates more than Senator Cruz. We're really, really rocking. We expect we're going to have an amazing number of weeks because these are places and they're in trouble. They're in big trouble. When you look at 
Pennsylvania, when you look at Indiana, when you look at Maryland and Rhode Island and so many places, we have problems everywhere you look. We are going to solve those problems. And one of the big problems, one of the big problems is the economy and jobs, and that is my wheelhouse. So, again, I want to thank everybody. It's really nice to win the delegates with the votes. You know, it's really nice. Nope. Nobody should be given delegates, which is a ticket to victory, and it's not a fair ticket. And even though we're leading by a lot and we can't be caught, it's impossible to catch us. Nobody should take delegates and claim victory unless they get those delegates with voters and voting. And that's what's going to happen. And you watch, because the people aren't going to stand for it. It's a crooked system. It's a system that's rigged. And we're going to go back to the old way. It's called you vote and you win. So we'll be going into the convention no matter what happens. And I think we're going to go in so strong. And over the next number of weeks, we just saw a poll come out of California, which is an unbelievable poll. But we're going to go into the convention, I think, as the winner. But nobody can take an election away with the way they're doing it in the Republican Party. And by the way, okay. I Donald am no Trump fan of Bernie. In his victory speech, uh, going off about losing delegates that he didn't win and complaining about the rules that have been in place for well over a year before he ever got into the race uh, because he's worried he could end up not winning enough delegates before he gets to the convention. According to CNN, and I believe this is before the 95 delegates from New York are apportioned out, Donald Trump had 767 delegates, Ted Cruz 553. Those are the only two that matter anymore. John Kasich doesn't matter. In New York, if you win, each county on the Republican side, each county has three delegates. If the winning candidate in that county and it's by county, gets more than 50% of the vote, then they win all three delegates. If not, then it goes by proportion. But you have to win at least 20% of the vote in order to get any delegates. Right now, John Kasich, statewide, is only getting 21% of the vote. Ted Cruz only getting 13% of the vote. This is with about a third of the polls reporting. Yeah, just about a third of the polls reporting. Um, Trump winning an awful lot of the high population counties. He's winning in Buffalo, in Erie County, in Niagara County, in uh, Chattawada County, in uh, Long Island. He's winning all throughout the New York City area and, uh, and upstate into the Hudson River Valley. He's winning in Jefferson County, just south of us. Um, Not winning in St. Lawrence. Well, we don't have the numbers there yet. St. Lawrence is the county immediately below Ottawa. But uh, he's already out complaining about this. And you, you don't win by complaining. You win by winning. And if you don't know how the system works, then don't complain about it, Donald. But Ted Cruz not getting any candidates, uh, any delegates out of this uh, race today. John Kasich will get very few, if any. Donald Trump 
if he doesn't sweep all, he will sweep the overwhelming majority of the 95 delegates. Do you care? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Right now in Manitoba, 39, the PCs are leading or elected in 39, the NDP in 12, the Liberals in 2, the Greens in 1, 54 of 57 districts reporting, and uh, CTV News has declared a PC majority. I would say that's, um, that's a good thing for sanity in Canada. Let's go to the phones. Gloria in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hello. Hello, Gloria. Oh, I see. I didn't hear my name here. You know, I'm just going to make a quick comment here. You know what? The thing is, every time I hear uh, John McCallum speak, it sounds like he he just woke up from his uh, afternoon nap after his lunch. Well, you're Um, kinder than what most say about John McCallum when they hear him speak. Is that right? Well, that, that's the, the, the nicest thing, because I don't feel he really knows his job that well at all. I mean, just by his answers, you know, he doesn't know, doesn't know the cost or, or, or even that the soldiers' barracks were, were renovated for $6.4 million for refugees and never used. Yeah, I, I mean, money. If, if they'd spent $6.4 million and they housed the 6,000 refugees that mm-hmm. they talked about housing there... Yeah. Then you could say, all, all right, that's that's oh. fine. But instead, we didn't do that, and we're spending more on hotels than we would in putting people up at Army barracks. I don't think putting people up long-term at air, Army barracks, unless they're soldiers, is a good idea. I've lived in barracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, why, why spend so- the money if you're not going to do it? It's just so badly handled. It's, it's like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, you know? Or the left hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing because they're both left-handed? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And I just want to say one thing. Uh, I'd like to just, you know, what about the, the cost of something that Trudeau calls uh, religious expenditures? And, and uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about there. Okay. What it is, it's, um, uh, this is uh, to build mosques and buy Korans and, and prayer mats for, for the, these mosques. And the money is... is uh, Are you talking about on the bases? No, this is... Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm going from the bases. I'm sorry. I'm just going to something that Trudeau calls... This is, again, with spending our money. You know, okay. I I, I know about buying Korans and prayer mats Mm -hmm. and and even a few Bibles uh, by the military for the what they thought was going to be the arrival of 6000 refugees. That didn't happen. But I I haven't heard about this this other measure that you're talking about. Have have you not heard about this uh, what Trudeau calls religious expenditures? I'm just wondering how how uh, and they're also helping to build mosques. This money is going to be used to build mosques along with the prayer mats and the Korans. And apparently, it's coming out of the defa- uh, the the uh, Department of National Defense, well, which I find very strange. Uh, well, if it's coming out of Department of National Defense, then that's that's what I was talking about earlier about the it, it happening on bases. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. and, and we reported about this at the rebel.media a while ago. Mm-hmm. If it's not happening on, happening on bases, then it, the money's not coming from the Department of National Defense. I'm just wondering if it's, if it's, it's still, in other words, that they're right across Canada. 
is, are, is money from from the national defense budget going going to be building no, mosques it, it, across it, Canada? There, there was only one, and it was at CFB Meaford, uh, and it was a cultural, social, and worship center. They called it so essentially a mosque, and you, you know what? I, I'm of mixed minds on that. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm upset because, well, they they spend a lot of money at CFB Meaford, and nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing was done. But if you go to CFB Uplands here in Ottawa, mm-hmm. uh, there's a church. You know, the, 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 the Forces Base, right by the airport, has a church on it. The one that used to be out at Rockland, the Rockland Air Base. Mm-hmm. It has every base across Canada has a church on it. Well, that makes so sense. So I, I, I can understand them, to a degree, spending money on this. Uh, mm. But unfortunately... unfortunately, ex- Well... And that's the problem. So they, they put up what was, a, I, I believe, a temporary-type structure building, and that's why it was a social, cultural, and worship center. I mean, it was a multi-purpose building mm-hmm. that could be used for anything at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- they've wasted money on, on all kinds of things on this, Gloria, just because they went fast and they didn't think. And and that doesn't help the Canadian taxpayer. It doesn't help the communities. And it doesn't help the refugee families. I've got to leave it there and, uh, and get to a commercial break. But thanks Thank for the you. call. Thank you. I'm Brian Lilly. Below, You want to call in to Below? 521-TALK, 521-8255. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. And join the conversation on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Big debate going on there about uh, spanking right now. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Uh, Unfortunately, everyone, we just lost the live feed of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders going down in defeat tonight in New York. Huge. Right now, uh, 41% of Democrat primary voters reporting Hillary Clinton has uh, just over 60% of the vote. Uh, Bernie Sanders, less than 40%. Uh, Trump, 62%. Donald uh, Trump, yeah, 62%. Ted Cruz, 14%. John Kasich, who cares? John Kasich, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You're just going down. But he's still in the race. I don't know why. My understanding is you can only have your name called from the floor of the convention and and have a possibility of winning if you've won eight different races. And he hasn't won them. He hasn't won them at all, but he's there. He's still keeping his name in. You got thoughts on that? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Uh, Jeremy wrote in about Ursula's call earlier. He he said, uh, what Ursula is trying to say is make Canada great again. Well, Jeremy, Ursula, if you want me to run for office, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Let's go to uh, Guy, the Capital Voice. You're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Good evening. How are you? As always, perfectly adequate. Well, Brian, I'd like to comment on Mr. Mortimer's interview, but I'd also like to keep some shtick for the end of the interview, since I've waited 49 minutes uh, on hold. <laughs> oh, you exaggerate guy. But Bernie Sanders, 
Anyways. What? Um, Mr. What? Mortimer. Mr. I can't uh, hear you. Mr. Mortimer made some incredible points tonight, which I would like to just make one point in my 15 hours of listening to CFRA today. That Mortimer interview so hit the head on two things. We are repeating exactly what Britain repeated in the 1978-79 before Thatcher came to power. We in Canada are about a social kleptocracy that is controlled by the unions and by the union bosses. And if it is so evident, and Mr. Mortimer, that interview, Brian, is so classic. I hope you point. That was your best work tonight. Oh, thank you. And thank you, you know very what? much. I'll tell you something. If you look back in history, as Mr. Robson would say, we are about to repeat what Britain went through in 1977, 78, 79, when labor had such a stranglehold on Britain that it was about to bring it down. We will probably experience that in three or four years. But the fact that the union sheep will let their money be spent on the political pandering of Justin Trudeau will show us that something will happen. But anyways, let's, but, let's go okay, on to well, Sanders. So go no, ahead. no, before we get to Sanders, what's going to happen? Do you think people will finally get fed up? I think repeat, I think history will definitely repeat itself. It always does, Brian. It, that's, you know, the, a good history professor will always tell you that. We don't learn from our mistakes. We, we basically do them again. Okay. Well, we'll see, or people will get really cozy with this. I mean, no, you, you go north. In Britain, parts of Britain saw what happened. In, Look in, at what hold, happened. Hold on. Hold on, guy. England saw what happened, and they embraced Thatcherism. Yes. Scotland rejected it. At the, what point? The birthplace of capitalism rejected Thatcherism. They've embraced the unions and are killing themselves. And my worry is that we go that route. And what happened with Muslim immigration in the early 80s is exactly what's happening in Canada. We are repeating the British experience, oh, boots. Now, let's mm. get on to Sanders. Yep. You know... My crazy socialist congressman from Vermont. Let me just let me just go on like Larry David did on Saturday Night Live, Brian. Give me give me give me a couple of minutes here, okay? He's so, got he's got the Flatbush accent have, down. Perfect. We have everybody so pissed off in America that nobody wants to vote for anybody. Nobody wants to vote for the Republicans. Nobody wants to vote for anybody. And I am Bernie Sanders. And I know you know you don't even want to vote for me because I can't even deliver the promises that are failed, Brian. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. What's happening in the U.S. electorate right now is a revolution of dissent because everybody is so mad with the status quo of what politicians don't do. Well, it, it's is, funny. This, My guy... I, I rise up, people. Rise up. But the problem is, you know, it's like it's like Edward G. Robinson in, in the Ten Commandments. You know, like it's 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 like anything else. You just can't believe on these prophet gods. That will not deliver on what they promise. My my guy Ted Cruz was not an establishment guy. He's who's who the he is the original guy that the establishment was fighting against a year ago, and You're... and then Donald Trump came in. They still hated Ted Cruz, and they hated him till mm, Christmas. Brian, I just got to say that your three hours that I listened to this 
every night is just so worthwhile. And I just, just hope I, you need three shows. You don't need one show. You need three shows. I also need sleep guy. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm glad you weren't, I, I'm glad you were videoing in Walmart today because I thought that was you. Oh, good night. Brian. All right. Have a good night. I put out on Twitter, and I invite you to check out my Twitter account. It's uh, twitter.com slash Brian Lilly. I asked, is it just me, or does Manitoba's premier, Greg Selinger, look like the older gray-haired brother of Saskatchewan's premier, Brad Wall? By the way, Greg Selinger won't be premier much longer. The New Democrats going down in stunning defeat. So stunning is the defeat that CTV News Channel has left the Manitoba election because there's just nothing to cover. It's a wash. The PCs are taking the province back. Good for them. But Greg Selinger looks like Brad Wall's older, gray-haired brother. You can go to my Twitter page, twitter.com slash Lilly. You'll be able to find links to both their accounts. You'll see their pictures, and you'll go, holy cow. I expect to get nasty messages from... Brad Wall or his supporters tomorrow over this. We'll see. It's been a pleasure being with you tonight. Do check out uh, the Twitter, the Facebook, the uh, the rebel.media. Check it all out. If you like what you see here, spread the word. If you miss a show, make sure you check out the podcast. If you can't be in, listen on the apps. They're for Android phones. They're for iPhones. The Bell Media talk radio app is amazing. Back tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.